Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my guest for episode 13 of the Everything USC podcast is a member of the Southern California Sports Broadcasters Hall of Fame, a USC alum who has called more Trojan football games on the radio than any other person ever, and will begin his 25th season as the voice of USC football when the Trojans take on the Arizona State Sun Devils on Saturday, November 7th. Pete Arbogast, it is a thrill and an honor to have you on the show. Well, thanks for saying so, and I'm mortified because this is show number 13 and I'm a superstitious guy, so what am I going to do now? Well, I think you're going to make it lucky is what you're going to do, Pete. (laughs) All right, fine. (laughs) And of course, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, please subscribe and rate it wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. You can also go to the website Believe.com, that is B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, that's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Pete, let the people know if there's any social media you want to throw out there, anything you're working on that you want the people to know about. I'm working on a book, but you can't buy it until uh, probably 2022. And you can find me on Twitter at USC Voice. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The football season is in full swing, and while you might not be at the games this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Can USC football come through as a big road favorite versus Arizona? In golf, is Rory McElroy a good pick to win the Masters and complete a career Grand Slam of majors? Those are a couple of the big questions bettors are asking themselves this week. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And as we record this episode on Election Day, we are only a few short days away from the return of USC football when the Trojans square off with the ASU Sun Devils on Saturday at the early 9 a.m. Pacific time. There were a lot of people who didn't think we'd see the Pac-12 playing games until 2021. But instead, it will be the final FBS conference to start up in the fall with a seven-week conference-only slate of games. USC will return most of its players, including 16 starters, from last year's 8-5 squad that went 7-2 in the Pac-12, but finished the season with an embarrassing loss to Iowa in the Holiday Bowl. The preseason AP poll ranked the Trojans 17th when voters were told to include all teams, even those that weren't planning to play at that time. Since Pac-12 teams were allowed back into the poll six weeks ago after the Pac-12 announced it would have fall football after all, USC has steadily received more votes each week, rising from being one of the others receiving votes up to its current position 
at number 20. Pete, now that they're actually going to start playing real games, can the Trojans continue to climb up the rankings? And what are you expecting to see out of this team in this crazy 2020 season? Well, this should be a really good football team. We were kind of pointing at this one for the last couple of years, had everybody come back, and most of them did, that this would be a really good football team. As you mentioned, 16, and you could even make an argument for two more returning starters. The offense is going into a second year of working a new system, so they should have that better. The defense has a brand new mentality of run and hit, and they're going to be an attacking kind of defense under a brand new staff led by a defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando. And the schedule is more or less set up for them to do very well, if not perfectly, in the Pac-12 Southern Division and advance to the Pac-12 Championship game. Now, we've heard those kind of lofty predictions before, and they don't come true. But this seems to be, to me, a team that has the talent to be able to do that. And we'll find out right away how good they are when they play Arizona State in the first game. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this schedule that the Pac-12 has set up. It seems to me like they're trying to get that Oregon-USC matchup in a conference championship game. Again, like you said, it starts off with possibly the hardest matchup against the Sun Devils at home this coming Saturday. And then it's followed up by back-to-back road games at Arizona and Utah. Back home for Colorado and a Friday night tilt against Washington State to start off December. And then the rivalry game at the Rose Bowl against the Bruins. And then finally, on the final weekend for Pac-12 play, there's going to be a Pac-12 title game. And as of now, we think we're going to have a matchup of the corresponding positions between the North and South Division facing off against each other. So do you think that the Pac-12 did this on purpose, knowing that with a short season and trying to get a team possibly into the college football playoff, that they set up Oregon and USC to try and be unbeaten for that final weekend? That is absolutely what they were trying to do. And you'll notice that the halves, the teams that are expected to challenge for the division championships, are generally playing the don't-haves in the cross game. So USC plays Washington State. Utah, which is certainly a competitor in the South, plays Oregon State and Arizona State. They got the worst of the three. They play Cal, although they do get them in Tempe. And I've heard that uh, you mentioned those games will be just crossover, like first against first, second and second, third and third on that last weekend. And I understand that if you find yourself matched up, say you're the fourth place team and you, you're going to play the other team that you already played in the other division, that they'll swim them around a little bit, move around a little bit. So you don't play a team you already played. So you get to play somebody else new, but otherwise they'll try to go directly across. That would be interesting, and it would be nice to play someone different in that case. So that's why the Pac-12 hasn't quite announced yet what they're exactly going to do for that weekend. But it is going to be the first time ever for USC to play a conference-only schedule. It's the first time not playing the NorCal schools, Cal or Stanford, in a season since 1914. And of course, with no non-conference games, that big early season matchup that everyone was looking to against Alabama in Jerry World, the Cowboys Stadium down in Arlington, that went away. First time not playing Notre Dame since three seasons during World War II, 1943 to 45. And I would have to say that because of all of these interesting quirks to the schedule, you can say that it lines up great for USC, it lines up great for Oregon, but we really don't know with the limited practice time and setup going into the season, not having really a spring practice, We're just not really going to be sure until we see them take the field and see what happens there. So 
Let's talk about some of these players. Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be a key guy, I think, coming back after he had initially opted out. J2 Fele on the opposite side kept his opt out and is still going to be preparing for the NFL draft. So who do you think are the most important players for USC to be successful? I'm going to back up on you first before I answer that question, because you were talking about Notre Dame and Alabama. And I have a prediction that if SC were to win the Pac-12 championship, they'll, I believe, be the fourth team to go to the playoffs. And I believe they will play Alabama in the Rose Bowl in one of the national semifinals. If they don't, if SC goes to the Pac-12 final and loses that game, I believe they're going to play Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl just to try to keep that rivalry alive. So let's keep an eye on that if that happens. Who's going to be most important? The offensive line in Moss, because if they can hold up, and they should, they're all really experienced guys, even though they're mostly playing positions that they haven't been known for in the past. If they can hold up, everything should be great on the offensive side of the ball. If they can protect Keaton Slovis, he's going to fling it better than he did last year, which is hard to believe because he threw 72% of his passes completed. He's got great wide receivers. He's got a full stable of good running backs, and, and the offense should be you know, if you don't score 40 points against SC, you might have trouble beating them this year. I don't think it's a guy on that side of the ball. I think it's a group. I think the offensive line is really the key there. If they're good, if they're really good, SC's going to be really good too. I'm going to completely agree with you there. And I think that is the spot that most people are going to have to look at to see because even though Vera Tucker comes back, he is going to be in the left tackle spot that was vacated by Austin Jackson turning pro early, even though he was a Second team all Pac-12 at left guard last season. He comes back to a new position and there are returning guys. But my worry, and I brought this up in the previous show with Sam Farber, is what happens if there are injuries? What happens if there's COVID, positive COVID tests? And the depth is really young on the offensive line. Brought in a lot of freshmen in the much maligned recruiting class. Do you think any of these newcomers on the offensive line or anywhere else on the team are going to play a role with such a veteran-laden team? They have to get them playing time. What's really interesting about this is this season is this is an eight-game season. Let's assume that USC goes to a bowl game. So we're talking about an eight-game season. And with the rule that was put in a few years ago that you could play in four games and not lose your eligibility, that would have come into play this year. But nobody's going to lose any eligibility this year. Everybody gets to keep. So if you're a true freshman, you're coming back as a true freshman next year. If you're a fifth-year senior, you get another year next year. So all these young guys are going to play, and they're going to play a lot as situations present themselves. I'm really impressed with this kid named Cortland Ford. He's 6'5", he's about 300 pounds. He's a, an older, true freshman out of Texas, and he looks like he might ultimately be a guy that turns into another USC offensive line All-American. Casey Collier has been playing very, very well from what I understand in practices. So, I mean, these guys are getting their turns. You know, they're not running with the first string, but they're going to get plenty of time in game time. Plenty. And then on the opposite side of the ball, the defense, a lot of returning guys, eight guys on the defense as well. And the guy I'm most excited to see is the sophomore defensive lineman, although he might be playing more of a linebacker position this year, Drake Jackson. I can't wait to see what he does in this new Todd Orlando D. The back end, the secondary, a lot of returning guys there. Some exciting players like Talanoa Hufanga. Who are you most excited to see on the defensive side? Yeah, if Hufanga stays healthy, he's an All-American candidate for sure. Jackson, just a sophomore, and he's only 19. We may only see him for three years. If he stays all the way, he's an All-American guy. 
Our secondary is really good. Chris Steele is probably going to be our best corner, and he's only a sophomore. He's a former five-star guy out of St. John Bosco, that great high school program in L.A. or in Southern California. I'm concerned a little bit about the guys in the front again. So, so these guys on the defensive side are battling these guys on the offensive side and kind of trying to find their way and make sure they're any good. Marlon Tui Pelotu is a third-year starter. Brandon Peely, big old guy from Alaska. He's a grad already. Caleb Tremblay is not a name we have heard a lot about because Jay Tufele is gone now. There's some guys that are going to play a little more than they might have otherwise done if, if Tufele had stayed or had come back after the season decided to go again. That's the side of the, again, same thing, position group. It's the defensive line is what I'm really looking at. If they can hold up things up there, the linebackers are going to help out. Outstanding linebacker crew. You mentioned Jackson, of course, and then the secondary is really, really good too. We'll see how this new mentality, you know, I talked to a couple of guys on the team. We can't go to practice because campus is closed, so we can't see anything except what the university sends us. And I understand that it's really different in terms of the aggression that they've been showing, even in practice, everything but the kill shot, if you will. It's a big difference over the last few years. They're much more aggressive. It's a much more reactionary defense, and they're calling it the run and hit. You know, we've got the run and gun on offense. Well, this is the run and hit. And uh, I'm really interested to see how aggressive and how well they run this thing in a first game under a brand new staff. Yeah, a lot of coaching changes. Like you mentioned, Todd Orlando, the new D.C., a new special teams coordinator. Sean Snyder comes over, the son of the legendary Bill Snyder. For all those years at Kansas State, he is now running the special teams for USC. A lot of other assistant coaches change as well. Dante Williams, of course, came in, helped boost up some of the recruiting. What are your thoughts on how this new revamped coaching staff is going to change things. You already mentioned some of what's going on on defense. What do you think about the team as a whole? It takes time to get used to new coaches, whether it's a new system, which it is, or a new position coach. It takes some time, not just practice time. It takes game time to get used to what these guys are like. If you're a player and if you're the coach, what the players are like, you kind of have to learn each other as it goes along. And we don't have a lot of time to do that. With Arizona State and Utah, two of the first three games, you're going to have to get right to it, no question. And I want to mention also, our graduate assistants and offensive, defensive analysts, there are several that are former SC players that are future coaches, real coaches, good coaches, in Chris Claiborne, Michael Hutchings, and Hayes Pillard, and Christian Tupo. These guys are helping out on the defensive side of the ball. And to have former players come in and do that, guys that you may have looked up to, you may have watched play who had great success at the university, and in some cases in the pros, that's going to help out too in making that transition, make it a little easier. And of course, because of the pandemic, maybe this hasn't been talked about as much, but Clay Helton was on the hot seat basically all of last season. He was going to be on the hot seat and probably still technically is going into this season. We just haven't had that much talk about it because of what 2020 has been for everybody. But how much pressure is there on Coach Helton in this season? Is he getting a pass because of the pandemic and the shortened, condensed season? Or is there still going to be pressure on him to do very well? Well, if they lay a complete egg, he's probably done. But I don't expect that to happen. And if things go as they should happen, then the pandemic won't hurt because of the shortened season. The fact they didn't play Alabama, which is probably not a bad thing. Like, you never know. I kind of like his chances to be back next year. 
this team should be very good, should win the South, should win the South, and should be competitive at least in the Pac-12 championship game. So we'll see. I think he's going to be fine. So I think you kind of already answered this question, but you think SC is going to the Pac-12 title game, and you think there's a shot for them to be playing Alabama in the college football playoff and make up for that game that we missed because of the pandemic. I'm going to get you on the record now, Pete. Is SC winning the Pac-12? Is SC going to represent the Pac-12 in the college football playoff? Can't go there. I'm just going to say they'll be in the Pac-12 final. I think that game, if it turns out to be SC and Oregon, which most people think it will, although Washington, even Cal, I think have a chance to be in that game. If it were Washington or Cal, I think SC would win the game. If it's Oregon, I think that's just a shootout. Oregon's had our number by and large over the last few years. Playing them at a neutral site would be nice. Not having to go to Eugene, because that's a tough place to play. Yeah, it's just going to be a shootout. A lot of points in the game. They've got a new QB they have to go with, and they've got some guys. They had a big attrition rate to the NFL, but of course, that'll be game seven of the season, too. It won't be game one or two, so they'll know what they have, and they'll know how to work with the players they have. So I'm, I'm not going to go there yet. I'll just say SC's going to be in the Pac-12 final. All right. I'll let you get away with that because I also feel basically the same way. I think it's all set up for Oregon and SC to be in that Pac-12 championship game. And I think the Pac-12 is praying for two unbeaten teams and give the Pac-12 a shot to maybe redeem itself in a college football playoff. Gun Gun to the head, I'll say no. I'll say we lose that game and play Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Which is still not a bad consolation prize when you think about it. That'd be all right. That'd be pretty fun. Again, you're listening to the Everything USC podcast. My guest today is the voice of USC Trojans football, Pete Arbogast. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can find it wherever you get your favorite podcast. Subscribe and rate on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Or you can go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcast. For me, you can catch up with me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Pete, let everyone know how they can catch up with you. I'm at USC Voice on Twitter. I don't tweet a lot. I retweet some and occasional Facebook stuff. It'll be easy to find me there. Not the social media master that some might want me to be. I do have almost 2,500 followers on Twitter, though, which is kind of cool. So if you want to get in, I think I'm only about... 400 short, uh, not 400, about 40 short of being to 2,500. So get in there. There's no prize for that. <laughs> I could probably come up with something. Wow. If you're throwing it out there, I mean, hey. You know, I'll but... figure something out if you want. <laughs> Marcus Grant here from the NFL Network, and you're checking out the Everything USC podcast with my old roommate, Nara Wang, on the Believe Podcast Network. I believe in Trojan sports. Hope you believe too. Fight on. So now, Pete Arbogast, I want to pick your brain about Game number one against the Arizona State Sun Devils. Again, it will be on Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific for Fox's coverage, their big noon kickoff deal to get maybe the Pac-12 some more eyeballs on the East Coast, but it's going to force these young guys in college to get up very early to play a college football game. It's going to be broadcast on Fox, like I mentioned, as well as KABC 790 AM and the Trojans Radio Network, where you can hear my guest today, Pete Arbogast, on the call. Arizona State 
coming off an eight and five record just like USC last year. The difference was that they were only four and five inside the conference. Head coach, of course, is Herm Edwards, the longtime NFL coach who turned TV analyst before coming back to the college game. It is going to be possibly the earliest start time for a USC game ever. The records are incomplete before the early 1950s, so we don't really know for sure. And they dug up an 1891 game against Loyola that started at 9.30 a.m. So we're not sure, but it seems like it probably is. And SC leads the all-time series against ASU officially 22-13. One game was vacated in the 2005 season. And we talked about the USC coaching changes. Well, there are two new, or actually technically three new, offensive and defensive coordinators for ASU. On the offensive side, Zach Hill is the new offensive coordinator coming over from Boise State to replace the fired Rob Likens. And then on the defensive side, two guys who are already on the staff are now co-defensive coordinators. The former Cincinnati Bengals head coach, Marvin Lewis, and the former linebacker in the NFL, Antonio Pierce. They are sharing the defensive coordinator position after Danny Gonzalez left to take the job as head coach at New Mexico. How are these coaching changes going to change what ASU possibly does compared to what they've done in the past couple years? Well, same thing with SC. Anytime you change your coordinators, you're changing your system, and that's not a good thing for your first game. Usually there's a lot of kinks to work out. I'll say this about Marvin Lewis. He took seven different Cincinnati Bengals teams in 16 years to the playoffs. If you take the Cincinnati Bengals to the playoffs once, you're a really good coach. Seven times, and he's the number one winningest coach in history there with 131 victories. And you notice the Bengals are back to being the Bengals now after Marvin Lewis was gone. So they probably made a mistake in letting him go in the first place. He and Herman Edwards and a lot of his assistant coaches have a lot of pro football roots. And as a result, they kind of coach like professional football coaches on the college level. I think college players enjoy that intensity. They might have to dumb down the schemes a little bit for college guys as opposed to the pros, but I think they enjoy being around guys that have been in the league. And that's why they're having good success in recruiting there. And I think they're pretty good, especially this year on the defensive side of the ball, because they've got eight returning starters. On the offensive side, Jaden Daniels can hurt you. We didn't play. He, of course, he didn't play against us last year. He was out, and Joey Yellen came in and did what he could, but he wasn't Jaden Daniels. Daniels is a local kid out of Cajon over San Bernardino Way who was a great passer on a CIF Southern Section Championship team. But he had a lot of guys around him in the terms of wide receivers and running backs who are no longer there. So he's got more pressure on him this year than he did in his true freshman season a year ago. Keep in mind, he's only a true sophomore. Whoever carries the ball for Arizona State on Saturday is going to carry the ball in a major college football game for the first time, because none of them have ever carried the ball before. A couple of JC guys, a couple of high school guys. And they've got some receivers returning. Frank Darby is the leader of that group. But again, Daniels is going to have to do a lot by himself, and he can. He throws the ball really well. He runs the ball really well. He and Doreen Thompson-Robinson, DTR over at UCLA, very much the same kind of quarterback, and they're very dangerous when they get a hot hand. So it'll be interesting to see how he runs things on the offensive side of the ball. And in the meantime, like I said, their defense is really good, and they're up against a very good USC offense. That's a great matchup to watch because they have a good secondary. USC's got a great passing game. They've got good linebackers. The Trojans have good running backs. 
But very interesting to see the give and take there. And that means it comes down to the offensive line for SC, defensive line against Arizona State. So you'll know pretty quickly how this game's going to go based on SC's offense on the field against Arizona State's defense. Yeah, you mentioned some of those guys that are going to be returning key players on offense. Jaden Daniels, of course, threw for just under 3,000 yards and ran for over 350 last year. Had a really good 17 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio. And of course, just overshadowed by what Keaton Slovis did mm-hmm. for USC in terms of these two guys both coming in as true freshmen. And the redshirt senior wide receiver, Frank Darby, that you mentioned, he was maybe in the shadow of Brandon Ayuk, who's now playing on Sundays for the San Francisco 49ers. But Darby had eight touchdowns last year, and he averaged 19.9 yards per catch, which was good for 10th in the country and second in the Pac-12. So he was a guy who was a threat to extend the field on defenses. And they've got some issues, too, in terms of not having a veteran offensive line. They only return one starter from last year, and he's a sophomore, left guard Donovan West. So it'll be interesting to see, like you mentioned, a question mark possibly with USC's D-line. How are they going to do against the possible question mark of ASU's offensive line? And last year, the offense, despite having Ayuk and running back Eno Benjamin and a dual-threat QB in Jaden Daniels, They really didn't have great ranks. They were only 94th in the country in total offense, 96th in scoring. They were really down in rushing, 115th out of 130 teams. So they're looking to turn that around with Zach Hill's offense. And he's known for running a lot of multiple formation sets. So I'm guessing that USC probably had to watch some film of the (laughs) Boise State Broncos to prepare as well for this. And then when you flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, like you said, a lot of returning guys. Their linebacking core should be great. A bunch of juniors. Darian Butler is the leading tackler coming back with 90 last season. And you have Jermaine Lolay, who was on the edge as a defensive end in their 3-5-5 defense last year. But now that they've converted to the 4-3, he is going to move inside and be a D tackle, a three-technique tackle. He had 72 tackles 10 for loss led the team with six and a half sacks last year and of course he's a Long Beach Poly guy just like former USC corner and now a redshirt senior for ASU Jack Jones who had three picks last year and of course you know he's going to be motivated to play against his former school and the defense last year was good kept teams to 22 and a half points a game which was 35th in the country and they were really good against the run 26th in the country but they were, again, bad against the pass, 115th, despite having a lot of veteran guys. And they lose cornerback Kobe Williams, who was all Pac-12. They lose linebacker Kalen Curse thomas So they have some transitioning to do, too. But you would expect them to be another year older, another year better with a lot of those guys who got playing time as underclassmen. And I want to throw out there, too, that their punter was a very interesting case. Michael Turk turned pro, declared for the NFL draft, went to the scouting combine, and went undrafted. He signed with an agent, went through the whole thing, and he was given an NCAA waiver to return to college. It's believed to be the first time that's ever happened where a guy signed with an agent, went through the entire draft process, and went undrafted and was allowed to come back to play college football. And that's a big gain for ASU because he led the conference with 46 yards a punt, which was 11th in the country last season. 
put 32 punts inside the opponent's 20-yard line, which was second in the nation, a semifinalist for the Ray Guy Award that goes to the best punter in the country. And I'm thinking just in a game where you're starting at 9 a.m., it might get off to a little bit of a sleepy start because guys are still trying to wake up. The punting game might be really crucial early on, and that could be in favor of ASU. A couple of notes for you here. Long Beach Poly is represented by six different players for Arizona State. So they've got a little bit of a pipeline with the Jackrabbits, and their third-year linebacker coach, Antonio Pierce, was the former coach at Long Beach Poly, head coach there. His kid's on a team. He's a backup safety there. Sorry, Crosswell, who's a three-year starter. So they've got a good thing there. Yeah, the NCAA doesn't usually help in that kind of way. We're kind of surprised by that. This guy's really good. He could win the Ray Guy Award this year for sure, even not kicking like the Utah and Colorado punters up at altitude. And by the way, you mentioned the 9 o'clock starting time. Agree with me, if you will. I can't imagine a game starting earlier than 9 in the morning. I don't care when it was. In a mustard field in 1884, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. I totally agree with you. If you were going to play early, 9 a.m. seems like, okay, that's as early as we could possibly go. I mean, I had trouble getting the 9 a.m. classes, I'll be honest, as a student, (laughs) you know? So, I I mean, trying to play football? Literally, I'm going to get up at 4.30 on Saturday morning. I want to get there by 6, start setting up, you know, get prepped, and you got to be there three hours ahead of time. So, it'll be interesting. I mean, I get why they're doing it. They want the national TV eyeballs, and it's not going to have a full crowd. You know, I think family and friends maybe are going to be allowed. Nope. Nobody. No one's going to be allowed in the Coliseum. So I sort of understand why they're doing it, because they want people to watch it on TV across the country. But to actually have to play in that game, I just think it's a disservice to the actual people who are going to be playing football. I think you might have, other than the teams and Let's take away everybody that's standing on the field itself. I think you might end up with 150 people in the Coliseum proper at any given time during this game, and not in the stands. A few people in the press box, security guys, Coliseum workers. I don't think you're going to have anything more than that. Because it's not SC's rules. It's the state and the city and the county rules. Right. And that's what you have to live by during this time with the coronavirus. Yep. Yep. So. Totally understand that. It's just going to be very odd, very weird. And because of this early start time, in my opinion, the team that can get off to the quickest start is probably going to be at the advantage because if you can jump off to a quick lead, similar to what USC did last year in Tempe when we jumped all over ASU 28-7 after one quarter, Keaton Slovis had thrown for four touchdowns, almost 300 yards. If we somehow can do something just close to that this year, I think that's going to lead to a route if a team can jump off to a quick start. Yeah, you would have thought that in that game too, but it came down. Arizona State drove and was going to score a touchdown to win or a field goal at the end, and Christian Rector knocked a kind of volleyball a little pass to himself and dove on it before it hit the ground. And with 25 seconds to go, we ended up winning the game by five. (laughs) It looked a little shaky there at the end, though. There were the usual issues, special teams issues, giving up big kickoff returns in that one, and the penalties were killing USC in that game. So it was a lot of those things that drove USC fans nuts, jumping out to a big lead and then just clawing its way to not lose a game late. And so in that game, USC relied on the passing game. Slovis threw for 432 yards, I believe, in that game, which was a career high at that time, which he then broke against UCLA a couple weeks later. But 
Is there a need to balance the run and pass to win this year's game? Well, they want to. And, you know, Keenan Kristen played in that one, and he ran for 60 yards, and that kept him honest, at least early. But now you've got Carr and Kristen, and I think Marquis Stepp is feeling good, and Malapai, if he's healthy, I mean, that's four quality running backs, and you don't have to put them all a running back. If you throw Keenan Kristen in on a slot with his speed, you throw him a pass out in the flat or out in space somewhere, and good luck tackling that guy. It's like a bar of soap. And Carr's a big guy that's trying to get ready for the pros, so he's buffed himself up a little bit, and he's ready for a breakout season finally. And you know about the other guys. And Step, had he not gotten hurt against Notre Dame, Trojans might have won that football game last year back there. So, yeah, they want to run the ball. If they don't run it with them, they're going to throw it to them, you know, little fling passes and screams and shovel passes. So you want to get the ball in their hands because they're such good and dynamic playmakers. You can't avoid it. Obviously, he's going to throw to the great wide receivers. He's got four really superior receivers to choose from. And the tight ends are even going to get used probably twice as much as they did last year. He's got a lot of options out there. And he knows he's very smart in this offense. He knows where they all are at any given time. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what new wrinkles Graham Harrell has drawn up for this year now that Keaton Slovis is in his second year in the program after such a successful year. And again, they were ranked 20th in the country in offense last year, only 118th, though, rushing-wise, 6th in passing overall in the country. So we're going to see if that maybe can get remedied on the rushing side a little bit while still keeping the passing numbers up high. And Another key I want to talk about is that USC has to be better in turnover margin. Last year, minus 10 for the season, and in turnover margin per game, 119th out of 130 teams. Meanwhile, ASU was plus 14, and they were 6th in turnover margin per game in the country. And so that could play a huge role in how this game gets decided. That's pro coaches at work on the Arizona State side, because that's what they work on in pro practices constantly is turnover margin. And when Pete was here and his staff, you notice that, I mean, those were great USC football teams, but you notice that they were always way out in front in turnover margin. Yeah, minus 10 won't get it done. You're going to have to turn that, flip it around probably, and be plus 10 this year. And if you're not, you're not going anywhere. So now we've come to the part of the show that everyone looks forward to. Uh Uh-oh. Prediction time between (laughs) Pete and myself. So Obviously, last year when I was doing the USC football podcast, I had a variety of hosts throughout the season, but it ended up being Frosty Rucker for most of the season. And so we had our little competition. I beat Frosty to win the competition. Our little prize at the end was that the loser would have to buy concessions for the winner at a USC basketball game. I like it. Of course, it didn't happen because of what happened at the end of the season and everything getting canceled. So. Frosty still owes me that, and so Mm -hmm. this year is going to be different. I'm going to have different guests on each week, but I'm just going to keep a tally of how I'm doing against everybody. So I'll be noting everything here, and we'll be keeping track of it on every podcast show throughout the season. So It'll be you or the collective. Right. It's me against the field, basically. You're going down. And so you're first up, Pete, (laughs) and we're going to start off with the players that we believe in, and so... I'm going to start this one off, and again, it's basically picking who your Trojan MVP for the game is going to be, and listen, the obvious choice is going to be the quarterback, right? Keaton Slovis, but I don't go with the obvious choice. I'm going to go to one of his receivers. I'm going to go with Amon Ross St. Brown to be the player that I believe in 
for this game. I think he's going to get open. I think he's going to get into the end zone and have a big day. Even though, like you said, there's a lot of good receivers. They're going to get the ball to running backs as well. But I think Amon Ross St. Brown is going to have a big game. He's the player I believe in. Pete, who are you picking for this one? Well, I was going there, so I I can't because uh, you've had first choice in that particular draw. So I'm going to say Tyler Vaughns. I'm going to go on the same position group there, but I'm going to say Vaughns. When we get down close to the end zone, he and London are going to be the guys, Drake London, are going to be the guys they throw to most often when it's down inside the red zone, I'm pretty sure. But I think Vaughns will get the bulk of those types of catches in the early part of this season, the fifth-year senior over the sophomore Drake London. So Tyler Vaughns will be my guy on offense. So we're both going receivers there for the players we believe in. Now to pick the game score, Pete, since I went first on the player, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Yeah. And just to throw it out there for those who are interested, right now, USC is an 11-point favorite. 42-20, favor the Trojans, 42-20. to 42-20, so you have SC winning big at home. Take the over and give the points. All right. See, I think it's going to be... A little bit of a slow start because guys are going to have trouble with the 9 a.m. start time. So I think we might have a very slow first quarter, maybe even into the second quarter, before the scoring starts to get going. And so I'm going to go with a 27-24 USC victory. Boy, oh boy. That's way too close for my taste. It is too close for mine as well, but I just think it's going to be a bit of a slow start. I could even see like a halftime score of 10-7 or something like that before it opens up a little more in the second half. And again, I think USC is really good in terms of who should be good. And I think ASU is really good in terms of who should be good. So that's why I see it as a bit of a closer matchup than what Vegas has it. But I still think SC is going to win. I know ASU wants to, they didn't start quickly last year at all in most of their games. They want to rectify that. But on the other hand, the Trojans did. They outscored their opponents big in the first quarter and scored a lot of points while giving up even more in the second quarter and were good starters again in the second half. So I I think the Trojans get off to a good start again. That's not going to be 28-7 after the first. That's unlikely. But I don't know that this is going to be much of a football game in reality. And like I always say, when I make it close or if I happen to even pick against USC, I hope you're right. I hope I am wrong. I hope it's a blowout for USC. (laughs) I just don't like a 9 a.m. start. That's why I'm worried about it. Look, we used to have a show on ESPN radio here in L.A. on Sunday mornings, and we'd pick the game for the next week. And once in a while, I'd pick against SC. And you cannot believe the flack I would take. No, yeah. You know, they think you're rooting against your team. Well, I don't want them to lose. You just asked me who I think was going to win. Exactly. And I always try and make that clear. I want USC to win. Yeah. But sometimes, like, you know, you can't pick them against Alabama. Like, if they were going to start the season against Alabama in the Cowboys Stadium. Are you kidding me? Like, no, probably not. Yeah. It's really being a homer if you're doing that. But hey, people can think what they want to think. And again, I think USC is going to win. I just think it's going to be a little bit closer than what you've got it. And then now it's the always fun prop bet selection. Mine is called Nara's No Doubter, and so this is where we just kind of pick a random occurrence that we think is going to happen in the game, and we're basically so sure about it, we're going to guarantee it, and again, you have to hit it right on the head, basically. You got to nail it to get credit for getting the pick right. For me, Nara's No Doubter for game number one against Arizona State is that USC will win the turnover margin battle, and that's why they're going to win the game. So that's why. 
my Nara's no doubter for game number one is that USC wins the turnover margin battle against ASU. I need a number. You need an actual number for the turnover mm, margin? I think so. Okay. Plus one, plus two, plus three. I'm going to go plus two. All right. That seems safe. All right. Pete's ponderance for the week. I actually have two and one I can control. So I know I'm going to get it right. Okay. But I, I'll try not to. Anyway, the first one I actually have is I think either of these teams who win the flip of the coin at the start of the game are going to take the football because they want to show their offense can move the ball early and often against their opponent. So I think SC or Arizona State are going to say will receive, which is unusual because most teams defer to the second half. All right. So the coin flip winner, regardless of the team, yep. it could be either USC yep. or ASU, but the coin flip winner is going to receive the ball instead of defer. I believe that's true. And then in my broadcasts over the years, the over-under for how many times I say, how do you do, has been two and a half. And I'm going to predict that it's going to be more in this game, and I'm going to predict it's going to be four. Now, I'm, I promise you that I'm not going to make it four because these things happen organically. They have to happen organically. So I'm going to say four, and we'll see what happens. So that's a bonus Pete's ponderance. That's right. So the official one is the coin flip. That's right. But the bonus Pete's ponderance prop bet for game number one is that you're going to throw out four. How do you do's your signature call right. in the game? And yeah. I understand there are people who enjoy beverages when that happens. I, <laughs> I can't be responsible for that. And I hope you enjoy your beverages responsibly. And that's what we say about these picks as well. Our predictions are for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> right. What you do with them is your business. We are not to blame. And, and frankly, I'm not going to take credit if you happen to win off of my prediction. I'm going to be happy for you if you do, Gotcha. but I'm not the guy who's going to take credit because I'm not going to take the blame either. Okay. So fair enough. You do what you do with these picks out there in the listening audience of the world. All right. So to recap the predictions for game number one, the players that we believe in, I'm going Amon Ross St. Brown. Pete Arbogast is going to go with a fellow wide receiver, Tyler Vaughns. In our game score, Pete, he's got the Trojans big, 42-20. I've got it as a closer game, 27-24. And in our prop bets, Nara's no doubter is that USC wins the turnover margin battle plus two. Pete's ponderance is that a coin flip winner, whether it's USC or ASU, is going to take the ball first instead of deferring. And then the bonus prop bet is that there will be four how-do-you-do's dropped during the game broadcast on the radio by Mr. Pete Arbogast. How do you determine who the player of the game is? It seems like it's rather on the subjective side. It is a little bit on the subjective side, and you won't be on the next show to actually defend yourself if it's a right. close call. I will let maybe the next guest determine if it is a close call. That's fair. That's fair. Because if like Amon Ra goes for eight catches for 100 yards but doesn't get a touchdown, and Vaughns has four catches for 60 yards but three scores. I would give that to Tyler Vaughns. There you go. So I would be honest and say, hey, the three touchdowns outweigh the 100 yards yeah, receiving. Yeah. But if both guys get a touchdown each, then it's probably the guy who has more yards, sure, right? Sure, sure. More yards are kept. Probably, probably more yards, yeah. So again, you're right. It is subjective and I am the host, so I may control it. But if it's close- Well, it's I your show. Just, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I may just give it to the, I may give it to the guest next week to give me the call. Like who wins this one? And- That's fair. We'll go from there. So- That's fair. I'm not going to take it out and just 
say I won that one because I'm always fair with these predictions and right. I want to win my bets fairly, even though there is actually probably no bet on this one because I don't have a co-host to bet against throughout the season. But I still like to be fair. Who's the guest next week that I can, can I get to him? <laughs> well, right now it's planning <laughs> to be Frosty Rucker making a return All right. okay. to the broadcast. By the way, Sam, you had on last week, he's one of my best friends. Great guy. Sam Farber is great. We worked together when 980 The Beast was going on in LA as another all sports radio station before it got sold out from under us. And, you know, we got a macabre and kind of sad question from our boss the other day about, you know, who would replace us if we got sick? You know, we're going to a place. Do, do I get COVID? And if I do, what happens? I mean, what happens if Sean Cody, my color man, gets it? So we had to go through some lists of names and stuff. And I thought Sam would be the perfect guy to replace me in the booth for a game or two if that came down during the course of the season. He calls those high school games on Fox every week, and he's got good play-by-play chops, and he's been on ESPN doing games, so I think he's the guy. Well, we certainly hope it doesn't come to that, but it is is nice that you have a succession plan for this crazy 2020 coronavirus-ridden year in case... You gotta be ready, you know? You gotta be ready. Next man up. Next man up, as they like to say in the game. So... Again, you are listening to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Nara Wang. My special guest today is the voice of USC football, Pete Arbogast. If you enjoy listening to this show, subscribe and rate it on all of your favorite podcast directories, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn, or go directly to the website, Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com on social media at Believe Podcast. If you want to reach out to me, ask questions about USC football or any other sports, find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Pete, let the people know what's going on with you on social media or anything else. Very little. At USC Voice on Twitter. And you can find me on Facebook, of course, just at my name. And if you want to message me and ask me a question, I'll probably summarily ignore you. <laughs> As most people do on the internet, right? That's right. Well, before I let you go, I want to finish off this show by maybe letting some people know about your history with USC. I mean, I I think everyone knows that you've been the voice of USC football now going into year number 25 at the mic, but you grew up in Los Angeles as a USC fan going to games. You ended up going to USC. You were the sports director at KSCR, a position I held as well. So we have that in common. At least I have something in common with the great Pete Arbogast in that regard. But you've done a lot of charity work. I know there's that famous Bill Plaschke column in the LA Times a couple years back about the volunteer work you do at Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, tending to those who are basically on their deathbed and just giving them a little bit of someone to be there for them in their last moments. And you worked with the YMCA for years, so you've done a lot of stuff. But I know that you want to do a lot for USC as well. Is there anything that you have in mind that you'd like to do to give back to USC or USC Annenberg School? Well, I've I've been trying. I pitched a few years ago and then kind of gave up because I didn't get any feedback on it at all. But I tried to put together a class which was the only thing I think that wasn't being taught there, which was sports play-by-play. There are interview classes, and there are and there's all kinds of great stuff going on at Annenberg. And every week, 
I go visit with the guys from the campus station, which is now KXSC, I believe. They changed the call letters at some point back there. And I talk to them for so long that they're embarrassed that I'm in there because I like spending time with those guys because I was one of them and I would have given my left pinky to have Tom Kelly at the time or any of the other guys come in and talk to me while I was doing games on KSCR. There's one thing that Tom Kelly did do while he was at KNX Radio that I continued when I was doing basketball, but haven't been able to do that since I'm not doing the basketball anymore. And that's take the sports director from the campus station and put him on for a five-minute segment of a basketball game just to you know get a piece of tape on real actual radio in Los Angeles. And it was always, you know, a throwaway game in December against uh, St. Joseph's State of Minnesota. You know, nobody's listening and nobody's at the game. And I did that when I was at USC also. I think I just missed you from what I understand. Yep. Because I left in 95 for a few years. That was my sophomore year. Just missed you. And so I probably had Jacob Ullman or Ron Gralnick or, you know, those guys were on the air with me for five minutes. It was great. So I wanted to t- I want to teach a class in sports play-by-play. I don't want to get rich by it. I just want to show the men and women who are interested in this craft how to do it. Because when I left SC and went to get in the business professionally for the first time, Twin Falls, Idaho, 1978, nobody showed me anything. I was just doing it by the seat of my pants and called a few games on the radio there and at other ports. But until I got to Porterville up in Central California, it took me that long, which was two or three years later, to learn how to put together a spotter board in football, how to get ready for a game, how to talk to the coaches, how to all everything about play-by-play, down to and including not repeating on a layup, it's up and in, trying to come up with 25 ways to say that shot's good. And to teach a class like that for these people who are at USC now to get out and into the business for real, not on the internet, but for real on a radio station, make some real money, I think that they would just be, and they always tell me that would be a great class and I would take it. They always tell me that. I think it would be a great boon to them to be able to be more well-prepared when they go out into the world and actually become broadcasters. I'm telling you right now, if that class had been available, I would have been the first in line to sign up for that. And I could bring guys in. I know everybody in town that's current and former play-by-play guys. And we bring everybody in as a guest and they can show us their tapes and we can break down their stuff and we can show them how to do it, what not to do, what to do. Not to say that what we do is going to work for you, Nara. You know, you're different than me. Your personality has to shine on your broadcast, but at least we can give you some ideas on directions to go and things absolutely not to do that are 100% against the rules. So I think it'd be a great class. You know, I could be Professor Arbogast, for gosh sakes. I'm sure it pays really well. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) I still think that's a great idea. I think hopefully people at Annenberg are listening. I think you should still try and pitch it to them because, and I think it's what you talked about that people don't know, like how to put together a spotter's board. Like I was making that stuff up on my own. Even when I was calling games for the Big Ten Network, doing play-by-play on a variety of sports for them, I'm just making it up on my own, essentially, putting together a board that I think looks good. No one actually ever showed me how to put that board together. I just found something that worked. And I can learn from the kids in school now. I call them kids, but, you know, young adults. I can learn from the students at USC now in terms of computerized versions of what I do by hand. I, I like still doing it by hand because I understand and I feel that when you write something down, it kind of goes into your brain a little bit more solidly than when you type it and see it on a computer screen. But I know lots of guys that use computers for their spotter boards. 
And my color man a couple of years ago, John Jackson, was all about computer stuff. But I still use handwritten boards. And they're the ones that I learned how to make in 1980 when I was doing high school games in Porterville. Same ones. I've got them in front of me right now. I'm looking at them right now. Same, same boards. They just have different names on them. That's all. And the stadium's bigger. And there's more people there. And there's more people listening, for crying out loud, that's for sure, than there were in Porterville. Yep. It's definitely a little bit different calling USC football than it is calling Porterville sports, for sure. <laughs> and I miss those days. Those were great days. And there are guys that worked with me that are that moved on from there. And my friend, my roommate, Wayne Garcia, has been the lead news anchor at the Fox TV affiliate in Portland for 25 years. He was on the air with me, you know, every day, every night. We closed the station down. You know, and that's, those are the days where you can goof around on the radio because nobody's listening at nine o'clock at night in a small town like that. So we could play any music we brought from home and cut commercials and, you know, just have a good time. The old days in radio. Reminding me of that is the show that you do here, this show, is a thing that couldn't have been done 30 years ago. Right. But now everybody can get on and do a podcast. Anybody can get on the internet and call a game, call a high school game from your high school stadium and learn how to do this job firsthand before you go out in the world. Yeah, there are a lot of new opportunities that weren't available to you back then that weren't available to me 20 years ago, Yep, yep. basically. So it's ever-evolving, ever-changing, and Good. you try and keep up with all the new stuff, but you also, like you said, there's something to be said for doing things the way you like to do them if they work for you. That's right. No need to change something if it's not broken. That's right. That's right. And, you know, as long as it keeps working and I can still see the field and say coherent words, I'll be okay. And we look forward to you doing <laughs> it every week during this interesting seven-week Trojan radio season for you in terms of the Pac-12 before hopefully, like you mentioned, a bowl game, which pretty sure I think they're going to try and let everyone go to a bowl this year, it sounds like, the NCAA. So Yeah, the, yeah well, even though they canceled a couple of those. And I'll tell you one real quick note is that Usually I have a defensive spotter that tells me who makes tackles on one board, and I have usually a guy keeping stats with us also, and neither of those guys are going to be allowed in the booth with us this time. It's just me and Sean and the engineer, and that's it. Wow. So we're going back to a very Spartan existence in the booth. It's going to be an interesting look. It's, we've all had to make adjustments during this time. It's been interesting. It's been thought-provoking. It's been challenging, and we're just going to do the best we can. Yeah, that's all we can ask for. and. I think all Trojan fans know that you will be given your best effort every Saturday or Friday, depending on when the game is, for <laughs> USC. And we look forward to hearing again Pete Arbogast starting his 25th season as the voice of USC Trojans football. So, Pete, it's again been great to have you on and talking USC football with you. And good luck on the season. And let's hope for a successful one for our Trojans. Thank you, and good luck with the show. Continued success with it. It's really fun to listen to the back episodes that are already in the can, as they say, and I look forward to hearing more of them in the future. I appreciate it. So, for my guest, the voice of USC football, Pete Arbogast, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 13 of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles's number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I end every show, please remember to fight on.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.